This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share and collaborate. So I feel like it's incumbent on the emergency management professional to provide them with the tools to be able to thrive, which makes your life easier during any activation. Hi, and welcome to the EM Weekly Show, and this is your host, Todd DeVoe speaking. And uh, I'm sure you've heard of, you know, Simon Sinek or Jim Collins or maybe even Seth Gooden when it comes to uh, leadership. And well, I think that Someday soon, we'll be talking about um, Amber Rushton in that same same light uh, as those guys. Amber comes from Ontario, Canada, and uh, works for the Burlington uh, Fire Department. And she is a dynamic speaker on teamwork, leadership, and, and how to move people in the right direction. And of course, she's an emergency manager um, and, and a good one at that. And so, you know, I, I'm just excited to have her on the show. I got to uh, engage with her a little bit uh, when I was in um, St. Louis, and it was just, it was just great. You know, it's always good to see people face to face that you met, you know, on LinkedIn or, or Facebook or whatever. And uh, uh, it was great to, to talk to her and, and, and really see her in action uh, when it comes to her speaking style and whatnot. So it's kind of cool. Before we get into the interview, I want to let you guys know that Alerts USA uh, is giving EM Weekly listeners a discount. Now, I got to tell you this, I don't get anything out of this. Uh, go over there, sign up, you know, make sure that you put the EM Weekly uh, in the code there and or, or either email them, let them know that you heard them here um, and you get a little discount. Because, you know, with coronavirus um, and everything else that's going around in the world, it's a really good tool to have. And so I'm happy to, to, to work to get you guys a discount on that. Also, uh, uh, Brian and I have been working a couple different um, uh, places to get discounts for you as well. So as listeners to EM Weekly, as part of the EM Weekly family, uh, we're trying to uh, bring other benefits outside of bringing some great guests. So, well, now on to the interview. So Amber, welcome to Ian Weekly. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. I was pleased to to run into you over in uh, St. Louis, and and we got to talk. and And I know that you did a a great presentation over there. And I know today we're going to talk a little bit about your presentation. But before we get into that, I, I think you know your background is is super interesting to me. So I know right now uh, you're working for the city of, of Burlington up in. Uh, up in Canada, not not New York, everybody. And, uh, and then, <laughs> you know, you did a lot of stuff work on resilience and you, you know, you worked with the Ontario Association of Emergency Managers. So you have a very vast uh, array of knowledge when it comes to emergency management and that's pretty exciting. H- how did you get into the field of emergency management? Yeah, thank you for that, Todd. Um, y- you know what, quite truthfully, I fell into it. 
So I initially studied music in my undergrad. I taught piano and voice for about eight years or so. And then I transitioned over to um, full-time doing hazardous materials response for a national industrial service company. Uh, I sort of learned by trade and then I studied. Uh, I'm wired in such a way that I just, I need to know more about why I'm doing what I'm doing. So I like to pair my experience with uh, more education and those that know me know that I'm quite addicted to learning. Um, so <laughs> I responded to hazardous materials releases um, for about five, six years. And then I moved up in the company. I became the technical advisor where I um, worked with a team to develop emergency response plans primarily for fixed facilities uh, for the chemical and ingredient industry, as well as pipeline emergency response plans under the National Energy Board and the Alberta Energy Regulator. Um, and I did a lot of regulatory compliance programming and provided technical advice to our team leads and our emergency response personnel. Then I ended up uh, studying environmental management and I went on to study emergency management and environmental business. Um, and then I progressed to working for um, an international engineering firm where I worked with, uh, I worked closely with our emergency management group there to build out a whole new business model for the firm. And then I jumped back to my former employer where I became a national manager and I was asked um, more or less to bring in uh, my emergency management lens to grow the business and create efficiencies across the country in our emergency response division. Mm -hmm. So as you can tell, I kind of <laughs> fell into it. And then I thought I'd make the jump a few years later into the public sector. And uh, I've absolutely loved that crazy journey. <laughs> and, and you know, I, I, <laughs> I love asking that question because I, I like to see how people uh, got to where they are today in emergency management because it's always it's always a cool journey, you know. It's never just like I went to school and got a job, you know. It's 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 more than that, and 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 I think it makes us as a profession we're we're so well rounded, you know. And uh, uh, we're we're having those conversations in Florida this week, uh, and I think it's a I think it's an exciting uh, a exciting business, a, an exciting career, and I think we're moving forward. So, well, and. I was going to say, I think it's a really unique profession in that you do have to have the capability to be able to envision at that strategic high level, but you also need to possess those technical abilities as well and have that um, frontline relationship capability as well to bring the right people to the table at the right time. Absolutely. Absolutely. So... Ran into you um, in uh, in St. Louis, like I said, and you were given a presentation to the International Association. Uh, oh no, I'm sorry, the International Association. Sorry, Randy Collins, he'll get killed. So the all, <laughs> see, is, I, I, I keep telling him. I said your 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 title of your organization is way too long, and the acronym is even almost longer. So it, it's the uh, All Hazards Incident Management Team Association. How did it go for you at the presentation? Um, yeah, so the, the presentation topic um, was basically a shift in perspective, and it was all about leading from the bottom up. Um, the audience was comprised of, I'd say, first responders and emergency management personnel from across uh, numerous states and counties. 
Uh, I think there was only three or four of us Canadians, so I tried my best to not say A too much. They caught me a couple of times, but I think I think it was good. <laughs> you know what? Um, at the end of the day, I really just wanted to bring my experiences um, from managing and leading from the bottom up in a top-down structure. I really wanted to challenge the audience's perspective in how they train their all-hazards incident management teams, how they go about their day-to-day, and give them useful tools to be able to equip them with the means to mentor all of those staff. And I don't think any of the tools that I was trying to give them, it wasn't really anything new. It was more of a shaping their perspective a little bit. So so leading from the bottom up, and and I think sometimes we see that um, if you think about like in a sports analogy, the the guy who might be the bench player, he's not necessarily the captain of the team, but he's definitely a, a leader there when it comes to the, the clutch time for uh, for sports. How, how does that look like in emergency management? Yeah, so during my presentation, I kind of gave the example of a soccer team, and and you can transfer this concept to any sport analogy you'd like, but. If you have a soccer team, for those soccer fans that are listening, um, you know, you have your offensive lines, your defensive lines, you have the goalie, and, you know, I'm, I'm a very visual learner, so I like to draw it on the board when I'm presenting this model. But if you could just close your eyes and envision this um, soccer team lineup, you know, if you step back and look at the team from the goalie's perspective, The goalie is able to see the entire field. The goalie can see the plays. And if you kind of look back and say you're on the defensive lineup, you could kind of get some cues from that goalie if you want because they're seeing everything that's happening on the field, whereas you're fulfilling your functional responsibilities within that position. It's really great to have somebody in your corner to say, hey, I actually see this person encroaching on your space and this is the play I'm seeing and it kind of gives you that advantage. In the same way, I'd like to think the emergency management professional needs to operate like that goalie and that they can see the entire play. They can see their entire team. They're aware of their functional responsibilities within their position, but they're also aware of how they can leverage those skill sets in their position to offset those of their team members and work with them for the greater good of the game. So do you, do you foresee like, or foresee, do you see emergency management, um, you know, you know, I've seen the EOC um, as someone who taking a look at a larger picture and then having to understand what each role is in the field and how they can um, support them from afar? Or is it somebody who doesn't need to have an understanding of the field at all and uh, can still still do their job? No, I believe that individual really needs to understand each role. So from the field and then stepping back in that support capacity, um, an emergency management professional really needs to understand what's going on at the ICP or the incident command post And then be able to relay that back to their emergency control group to say, this is the common operating picture. 
this is what's happening now. And I need to connect you, you, and you together so that we can strategize and implement our plan and continue to support the field. So where do you think the emergency management professional um, should be housed in their, in their organization? Should it be, and well, I'm going to kind of expand upon that question. Should it be like in law enforcement or should it be in fire? Should it be in public works? Where should they sit on a day-to-day basis to be able to be most effective in their role? Um, you know, it, it really depends on the culture of the municipality and the culture of the province or the culture of the state, I would say. Um, in my role, I think it works well within the city of Burlington that I'm situated within the fire department. Absolutely. Um, I do a lot of work with all the departments, of course, across the board, but I also work primarily with suppression on pre-planning initiatives. I work a lot, um, especially with my um, dispersion modeling background and my hazmat background. Mm. There's a great fit in building out chemical databases and teaching all the staff about dispersion modeling, um, utilizing our software um, working with fire prevention um, on narrowing down critical infrastructure and maybe looping that into their annual inspections. So there's a lot of neat synergies there. Um, I also see a unique fit in the police service. I feel like there's been a lot more jobs popping up for emergency management personnel and police as well. Again, it's a very different culture depending on the first response agency that you're partnering with. So I, I do think it is dependent on the province or the state you're in and what they're dictating the position looks like, if that makes sense. Sure. Do you find it hard to um, assert a leadership role when you're in a first response agency or um, is there something like a, like a technique that you use to be able to uh, uh, let them know that you're there and that you have an important uh, part of that team? Yeah, I think ultimately it's all about relationship. And I think when I first got into the city, and it's the same approach I took with my former position as well, um, I made sure to get out. Uh, I think there's a lot of advantage to being able to go to each department and to work with those not only at the management level or the executive C-suite level, but also to understand those that are out in the field. So, for instance, you know, I went to roads, parks, and forestry, um, and in some counties, it could be referred to as public works, which um, in our in our area, that would be, um, we have public works with our upper tier, but I won't get into that. <laughs> anyway, I went out to um, roads, parks, and forestry, and I walked through all of their operations so that I could understand it inside and out. I met with Capital Works so I could understand how they operate as well. Um, I met with our regional groups, an upper tier, um, for instance, they have public health and emergency social services is out of um, the region. So I met with all of them to understand what they do on the day to day. And granted, I mean, this approach is um, time consuming, but, I do believe that there's a large need for this and there's a huge gap if emergency management professionals don't take that approach. I come back to, um, have you ever heard of the hedgehog concept by Jim Collins? Yes, yes, yes. 
Okay, so I draw upon that concept and, you know, at the epicenter of his Venn diagram that he displays, and for all the listeners who haven't heard of this or haven't seen it, I can kind of give a brief summary and I encourage you to go back and look at his work because I I love this model, but Jim Collins and his team had looked at Fortune 500 companies and come up with this model to say these companies are the most successful because of these three concepts, they looked at what the company is deeply passionate about, what drives their economic engine, and what they can be the best in the world at. And when they found the answers to those three concepts, he called it a crystalline center. Um, And I will add to that as well, that it's equally as important um, to recognize what they're not good at. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I took this concept and I thought, well, what if, what if I could apply more of a hybrid hedgehog concept and apply this to your all hazards incident management team or your emergency control group, depending on what's required based on the county or the province you're in. Um, and my approach to this is I really want to look at the why, what, how. And I know Simon Sinek talks about this a lot as well. But I look at, you know, when I'm when I'm meeting each member of the team, I want to know what they're passionate about, what drives them. Because if you know what they're passionate about, then you know how to motivate them and inspire them and affect change in their role. If you know what drives the tactical engine of your team, okay, you understand their functional responsibilities within their position, you understand their strengths, their areas for improvement, then you can leverage those. You can leverage those to augment other team members. And you can have a very strong team, but it's taking that time, which most people don't have time for, let's be serious. Um, It's taking that time to be able to step back and understand your team dynamics, um, understand, you know, maybe there's some cultural barriers there. Maybe there's some experiences they've had that really shaped where they are today. If, if you don't take the time to get to know your team and you don't understand what inspires them or what they're passionate about, what drives the tactical engine of the team and what skill sets they possess so that you can look at succession planning down the line. Um, I, your team's not going to be successful and you're not going to be an effective leader in that role. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about team building and, and not the, you know, the, uh, the fuzzy team building of going out and doing, I don't know, some sort of like cooking class to become a team, but like how you really <laughs> put them together. Seconds count during an emergency. That's why at Titan HST, we connect people with the latest technology possible, whether it's mesh networking, augmented reality, or real-time translation, allowing people who need help to find help immediately. Better matters because lives matter. Welcome back from that uh, quick break. And as we went into break, we're kind of just discussing the idea of team building and what it means. And uh, I think, you know, if you have not read Jim Collins, and it's funny because he's mostly known as doing business stuff, 
Um, I read his book a long time ago, uh, Good to Great, and he actually has a supplemental uh, that they wrote that you can get uh, for like three, four dollars. It's not very expensive. Um, that talks about the public safety, the public sector, and I highly recommend getting it and reading it. And uh, uh, and and there's a lot of good concepts in there that you can pull from and start developing a, a working team. And I think the difference between the private sector and the public sector is. With the private sector, it's easier to um, to change your team up, right? And as Jim Collins talks about, getting the right people on the bus uh, before you, um, and even if you don't know where the bus is going, if you have the right people on the bus, you can start driving that, that bus down the road. In the public sector, sometimes it's harder to get the right people on the bus necessarily, but you still have the people that you're working with. So using those concepts, what, what do you think of, of team building and how do you get the best uh, as a leader? How do you get the best out of out of the members that you have? Yeah, and I think I, I like to draw on more of a hybrid concept of that hedgehog concept you were talking about that Jim Collins uh, has his book on. I believe it's called um, Good to Great. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll go back to my my previous role as a national manager for a moment, just to give a realistic example of how I built the team and leveraged those um, very similar concepts that Jim Collins brings forward. Um, I was brought on um, to build out our emergency management model in this national industrial service company, and they wanted me to grow the business and create efficiencies uh, across Canada in emergency response. So, you know, naturally, as an emergency manager or emergency management professional at the time, I'd approach the executives and said, that's great. Um, how much money would you give me so that, you know, I can travel across the country and get to know the staff and understand all of the operations before I look to growing the business and streamlining efficiencies? Um, so we built a whole business case and they walked me through that and they approved my expenses to fly across the country. And... Um, get to know our operations from the ground up. So in doing that, um, I was able to gain buy-in across the country. And I, I don't, I don't want to talk about a, I don't want to share this story, um, as a takeaway, as a, as a success factor. I, I want to share this story, um, merely because I want to really exemplify the approach I took in building my team across the country and being able to gain that buy-in for what we were trying to do as a corporation. So when I went across, um, I met with all of our operations staff and I actually leveraged its uh, Canadian standard Z1700. I'm sure most are aware of it, the sister or Z1600 story. And the um, sister standard, uh, NFPA 1600. So I chose that standard as uh, a benchmark to measure our operations. So I sat with all of our team leads across the board, and we just talked about what they saw as operational gaps, where they saw um, we could build efficiencies, what their perception was from the ground. It also allowed me the time to get to know them, get to know the skill sets, um, and be able to bring that back and put it together in a presentation. Of course, it was very high level for all of the executive C-suite personnel um, so that we could grow the business and create efficiencies. And at the end of the day, um, through that whole process, not only did we have that benchmark we leveraged using CSA Z1600, um, but we also 
had the understanding of what each team member was passionate about, what drove that tactical engine of the team, and what skill set they possessed so that we could better place them in more effective roles or that we could build those that were already in the right roles. We could build them to a point so that they could train others and build up other team members as well. The inefficient person or the person who who you feel is not you know, pulling their weight, how do you pull them up instead of uh, push them out? Yeah, so I actually have an example of that. I had one employee, um, I had hired him on, and um, he didn't have the skill set that I thought he did at first. So I think that was one of the more difficult discussions we had because we had a conversation about where he saw his career going, where he wanted to go, um, what his strengths seemingly were. So I had to bring that back to the executive and say, listen, I don't don't believe in, you know, getting rid of him because he can't fulfill these functions. I think he'd be better suited in this spot within the corporation. Do you think we could move him and try him here because I really think he could flourish? And then here is how I will fill that operational gap on my end. Of course, you never bring any problem without a solution forward. I learned that at a very young age. (laughs) Um, So we ended up moving his position over to leverage his strengths and it worked quite well. And I know you can't do that with every team, um, but I do think that each team member does usually have unique skill sets that you can leverage somehow. It's taking the time to talk to them and, and just as important, monitoring their performance and having those, you know, quarterly or biannually check-ins. So you know where they need to develop and grow. And perhaps there's somebody else on the team that you could connect them with to build those skill sets. I think that we generally as emergency managers, we tend to work in one-off offices. Like a lot of, I met a lot of people in, in Florida that were like, yep, I'm a, I'm in a, I'm a department of one, you know, it's hard for me to get stuff done. What do you say to the people that are in the department of one that, that don't necessarily have that day-to-day team or a team that they don't necessarily have 100% control over on a daily basis? How do you work with groups like that? And how do you create that culture of a teamwork when it comes to emergencies response and, and um, uh, you're managing those disasters? Yeah. So what you just described is actually my role with the city of Burlington. <laughs> So, um, I'm a team of one here, and when I got in, um, I realized I needed to be very creative with designing my team because I don't have direct report, but I do know that I needed my emergency control group in place. I needed support staff. Um, It's not their day-to-day responsibilities but it is very important that they support our emergency management program here within the municipality. So what I did was I built the emergency control group based on their day-to-day roles and responsibilities, knowing the needs within the emergency operations center and said, if that individual is comfortable and they're strong in their day-to-day role, and I can build that their day-to-day functional responsibilities into what they do within the emergency operations center, 
then during an emergency, they're going to be in a comfortable place. I am merely, I guess, for lack of a better term, placing their role on steroids Mm. in that moment during the emergency. But because they're transferring over to that place of comfort, knowing that during an emergency, it, it, brings you to a place of uh, a little bit higher stress than your day-to-day, right? Mm-hmm. Of course. <laughs> so in that place of comfort, they'll still be able to operate well. And although it's within the emergency operation center, it's not at their desk, they're still with familiar staff working side by side. So it's taking that um, day-to-day team mentality and their day-to-day roles and responsibilities and plugging it into the emergency operations center which works well for annual training and your annual emergency exercise too. So if I kind of kind of pare that down a little bit, it's basically you're training to people's strengths, not to their yes. weaknesses, and you put them in a place where they, you, you know they're strong, that they're not going to have to f- try to figure out during a, during a crisis. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in this role, I'd like to think, you know, every emergency management professional is called to make sure that members of that team, whether they directly report to you or they're called on, like in my case, to assist during an emergency um, and to promote our emergency management program, that they're comfortable operating in that environment and they do thrive. So I feel like it's incumbent on the emergency management professional to provide them with the tools to be able to thrive, which makes your life easier during any activation. So Amber, if you could say one thing to all the emergency managers in the world at one time, what would would it be? (laughs) One thing? I have a lot to say. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One thing. Uh, I would say trust your skill set, um, believe in yourself, and it's really important to take the time to know your team, um, to be cognizant of their day-to-day stresses, especially when they don't directly report to you, um, but to be creative in meeting them where they're at trying to get them um, to buy into the bigger picture that us emergency management professionals do see on the day-to-day and have the ability to tie in their technical expertise with the needs of the emergency management program. Well, we're getting here close to the end, and it's, it's always a pleasure to speak to you, and it's, it's, uh, it's great that we were able to get you on. I've been wanting to get you on the show for a while, so uh, I'd love to have you on again sometime. Okay, thank you. It was my pleasure. It was very nice. Thank you for listening to EM Weekly, brought to you by Sitch Radio. And don't forget to subscribe to EM Weekly on your favorite podcast player. And if you are interested in more podcasts, also check out sitchradio.com, the home of EM Weekly.